some background first uh, about the original show and how that came into being, uh, and then the larger concept, the, the unifying concept of uh, strategies uh, of non-intention. Yeah. Well, I, uh, we were very uh, close, like family, with John Cage. Uh, <clears throat> amazing, uh, you know, luck uh, to have that. And uh, so I was 27 when I met John, and um, we knew him very intimately for the last 15 years of his life. So he was 65, my age, to uh, 80, almost 80. Few, few weeks short of his 80th birthday, and um, and so once he said to my mother, "You're the daughter I never had," did, did, and asked my mother if she minded. And uh, when my father died, he invited her to dinner, so he felt that kind of familial uh, way about uh, me. So we we and and Bill and Bill would play chess with him as uh, on the record uh, every day. Um, two times, two games a day. And Bill and I play, we just played last night a number of games, and we play regularly. And so, uh, so uh, being in, the, in his uh, uh, loft, uh, I was looking at the work he had up, including works of mine that he had bought and I'd given him, and works of Bill's that he had done the same with. And uh, it occurred to me that uh, there were a number of works that did reflect his idea of uh, non-intention or chance operations, but not all. He has Jasper Johns, who would tend to, as John would put it, correct a work. If, it, if something happened that he didn't intend, he would tend to bring it back to his point of intention. And uh, including, as I have heard, taking a hairdryer to stop a drip in encaustic, you know, very controlled. You would never picture Rauschenberg doing something like that. And which is fine, everybody has different ways of, of um, making art. And uh, so then um, I uh, selected the works of, uh, including John, six people that I thought would fit into that. And I asked John if we could borrow these works and, and to do the show. And as we were talking about it, and I asked him if he could be interviewed by Richard Castellanos, who had, who had uh, written a lot about John. He had his reservations about him and difficulties, but he was still a very good um, and clear uh, promoter of John's thinking. And so, uh, he, he did interview him, very beautiful interview. When Richard asked him, he said, well, how would you characterize the works in the exhibition? And John said, well, I would use the word non-intention. So the first time I did the show, I didn't pick up on that and use that as the title. He, uh, he's, I wanted to call the show Chance, and he didn't like uh, shows that had titles like that and corralling artists into a single, as I wrote about, into a single, uh, you know, word, narrow them down the funnel into one word. So he thought that it should be just the names of the artists, so I did. But then I had a subtitle in there, Imitating Nature, Inner Manner of Operation, which was another way of talking about chance. If you believe with Dawkins it's all chance, then, you know, there's no intention behind all of this. 
which I do, you know. And uh, so um, there, there uh, it was the first show. Then uh, the next time, uh, Sandra Gehring, who I helped uh, develop into a gallery, I helped found her gallery back in 1988. Couldn't find a gallery, and I just made one in a brownstone, you know. And uh, I really I have an anti-resume, you know. I still can keep it up. Believe me, everybody can all their lives. John Cage had, you know, rejections all the way up to the end, including not the best obit in the New York Times. So, you know, uh, I mean, still kind of calling him more an inventor than a composer, that haunting, dogged, um, you know, review that he had gotten way back. Uh, in some ways, maybe a point of pride that the establishment still you know, at the time of his death, was still, still a controversial, still didn't get it. very controversial uh, I guess so. figure for, even though there were... I guess so. We were annoyed and you know, <laughs> outraged yeah, by on a personal level, the advocates. And uh, I think, you know, certainly the lack of... John Cage is Virgil Thompson, who described his work as saying it was a one-way ticket to a gadget fair. And that was his description of his work, and it haunted him in the same way that... You know, explosion of the uh, you know a shingle factory, the, and the and the, the um, new descending the staircase. You get associated with one piece, and then if there's a negative aspect to the review, it can tag you your whole life. How did Cage handle negative uh, reviews? Well, uh, he was certainly above it as well, sure, and and a very famous violinist who. Uh, extremely intelligent fellow, Paul Zukowski, still alive, and he he said uh, about reviews, and he was, of course, a public uh, figure as a violinist, so he got reviewed all the times, and he said, so if you got a good review, what do they know? You got a bad review, what do they know? <laughs> you know, his attitude was very superior, really, because so often there's so many mis mistakes mm -hmm. of just fact. Mm. It's one little beef I have, and I'm sure everybody who's reviewed, and never mind Obama, or the, you know, being president, what happens to your message? Can you imagine? Just amazing. Um, the, uh, the thing I would like is if uh, you were sent a copy of a review and could fact check it only, you know? You can't quibble about a single adjective. If they want to call something mm. stupid and if you don't think so, that's their prerogative. But if they're going to get a date wrong or material wrong or uh, something that's really going to uh, affect the whole reading of, mm. or, or, you know, for instance, as I said, you know, that I'm going to start a fire in the Met. Mm -hmm. This is, it's you know, <laughs> certainly going to mislead the audience. I, I always thought that newspapers and you know uh, journals were supposed to have a fact-checking process. Uh, yeah, well, believe me, they don't bother. <laughs> Maybe not in the arts. They don't bother to that degree. The New Yorker does try, mm -hmm. you know. Interesting. So the the recent staging of strategies of non-attention was it the same show? No, it was uh, the same artist, but uh, all different works, mm -hmm. with the exception of a couple. Okay. Uh, works and um, the Toby we showed the same Toby as it turned out 
that the current owner was a collector of bills and mine, and he happened to want to sell it, and it certainly fit in the show, and connected very much to Bill's sink, and I wanted to show Bill's sink again. So those two works were shown from the first show. I even think a third one was shown from the first show, uh, uh, Tom Marioni's um, fingerline drawing. But uh, the rest of the works were all uh, new, uh, but under the same uh, rubric of uh, the idea of uh, works that were made with strategies of non-intention. Mm -hmm. And the different artists, for instance, you could say Bob Rauschenberg was great in the, you wouldn't have seen the film. I think I, I don't know if I could get it to be on my site where you could download seeing it. I'm not sure you can. Anyway, he did. Uh, he he probably was one of the first to do those uh, transfers with uh, lighter fluid and ink, and so he was doing that in the fifties. And when you do it, uh, not only is it the image reversed, but you don't know what's going to pick up and what's not. So there's a chance element. And as he's doing it on tape, we got this great piece of footage where he said, I work this way for maximum lack of control, which is so great. He's such a great, you know, when he talks, it's always really uh, so uh, vivid and so, um, you know, uh, precise, you know, and, but so full of life, you know. And uh, so that was his way, was, in other words, working blind. Uh, was one of his strategies. And then working with material that was aleatory. The, we, Bill and I went to the 1974 show when Bob was alive here in New York, and, and that was the opening of the Horfrost series. And he had fabrics of different weight, and when you walked by, they would flutter and move, uh, and they were really diaphanous and, you know, very beautiful uh, from that point of view. And then the image on it was very subtle <clears throat> as well as the lightness it was silk <clears throat> excuse me silk chiffon and silk <clears throat> and then he weighted the uh, one with a for instance one that I showed he had uh, on there uh, some newspaper literally some newspapers just glued on so that that would affect the movement of it so he was playing around with that idea of movement as well as this image that it was a lively piece. And um, uh, so that work I, I got to show in the air. Uh, Mark Toby talked about subverting his conscious mind. And as he said, the void, the, everybody was talking about the void back then, you know, the big sublime void. And uh, he said, you know, he was kind of poking fun at that in the way of saying, I don't think I was in that zone the void, but I was uh, thinking, I don't know, he said how long this work was percolating in me, but it took some 20 years to make these Sumi uh, paintings, and uh, so he was really just working with the brush, the action of the brush, but trying not to think, trying to, and he said a very interesting thought, he said it's hard to uh, work faster than the mind. And when you think about it, it's really hard to do. You could say, okay, so I'm going to be playing tennis, you know. You could run for a ball before you're going to say, I'm going to run for the ball. But uh, 
it's pretty hard in actions to to uh, beat what your mind is doing. I mean, one thing I do with these works and this work is I throw the composition with chants. So I take, this, in this case, both of these were firewood, gathered without the intention of using them in my work, but literally to, for our fireplace in the country. And uh, that, that collection of wood was gathered by somebody else. I didn't gather the wood. Here, I, this is what I gathered for the fire, and then I thought, oh, that's interesting, maybe I should use it. And then I thought, this other fellow I'd gone out to gather wood for our fire, and then, uh, then uh, I didn't ask him to do it, the thought that it would go to, to the painting, and then when I saw the wood, I thought, oh, I'll use that. And so he had a, he, he, his kind, the wood he gathered was so different from the wood I would gather, also. You know, you just go out in the woods and, and two people are going to get very different kinds of, you know, firewood. And so, uh, in the case of, in the show there, I used chemistry. In, these ca in this case, I would use, ch uh, you know, chance composition. In this case, I would use a chance core. Not doctrinaire, it's not the only work I do, as I said, but uh, it's uh, uh, one aspect of what I'm doing. So Bill, Bill used indeterminate materials, which, oh, I do too. So you use weather, the materials themselves, say over there is the indeterminacy stone behind you. You know, that's in the weathered outdoors, that little stone. And I've done them up to nine feet long, you know, several tons, but those uh, don't, uh, of course, I, that's what I can fit in here. And uh, so weather, so I used weather. So Bill used, uh, with his sink, which is down there with the water, he was using um, uh, unstable materials, as I was using unstable in weather, he's using unstable materials. Uh, indoors with uh, an app, you know, a daily application, and then he's um, he used uh, unsighted work, blind, same in, in a different way than Bob Rauschenberg, and then the Tom Arioni, uh, he used uh, he called it he did yoga with a pencil, where he did that circle. And I was challenged by um, Meryl Wagner, the wife of Bob Ryman. He came, Bob Ryman came to the show. And um, she said, well, so the work looks really intentional. How, how would you say that it is not intentional? And I said, well, it's, kind, it's paradoxical because the gestures do appear to be and are. The resulting gestures do look like they have a, a firm intention. But the method to achieve that uh, is uh, a, a method that we're each of us in our different ways uh, trying to have a, a, a mark that's unselfconscious, that uh, is authentic, and uh, not overly fussed with all of, all of these things that artists are constantly trying to achieve. So there are these different ways that that we were each working on. And of course, I, the last artist, John Cage, his famous chance operations. Mm -hmm. So the chance operations have to do somewhat with materials, but mainly with placement on the work. Mm -hmm. And that being said, there's a lot of arbitrary decisions, you know, 
I chose a triangle. Then I chose the concept of this piece. That's fully intentional, you know. Then I make a score how it's going to go. But, or I choose the materials here, and I choose the size of that canvas, and so on. So those are all intentions. I mean, this is my body height and, and arm width. Well, that's an intention, but you could say it's also using something that's arbitrary as to your height and width. So it has a, you know, I thought, oh, that's the size I could handle, which, of course, you can't because if it's, you're stretched exactly like this, you can't grip it. You can't grip it. So you can't lift it the same way I could a small one, let's say. So you said certain parameters, but for the most part, once you have certain arbitrary parameters in place, then you're able to uh, approach the composition in a more indeterminate fashion. Yeah, I'd say it's the composition, mm -hmm. is the part that's indeterminate. Mm -hmm. and, and in, I guess... And the materials, in my case. Sure. Not the case of John's, because his materials are stable, but his composition is not. Mm -hmm. So in that way, mine might be one mm -hmm. step more um, indeterminate. His materials are... Well, they're printed etchings, right. watercolor. They don't intentionally change, or they don't, they're not as unstable. Mm -hmm. Everything changes, but uh, the materials themselves, he doesn't have the latitude or the intention that the materials will change. Mm -hmm.